Log Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here tonight. John Harlow with you as well. 917-889-8280. It's another great episode of Talking Circles. That's the number to call us. Well, we are reviewing the great the Gander Outdoors 400 at Pocono Raceway. It was Kyle Busch's 49th career victory. Tyus Tony Stewart is one win away from 50. Plus, we'll talk about the race at Iowa, the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Iowa, and Kyle Busch dominated the Truck Series again. Also, we'll discuss... The silly season news, lots of news this week. Joe Gibbs and – not news, I should say, but rumors this week. Joe Gibbs and Christopher Bell in the news today. We'll talk about all that, other things as well. And we'll do this show in honor of NASCAR legend writer Tom Higgins, who passed away early uh, Tuesday morning. We'll share our thoughts about that as well. 917-889-8280 here on Talking Circles. Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here with you. But, John, it's the Gander Mountains 400 from Pocono. Kyle Busch was victorious. Held off teammate uh, Daniel Schmars at the end of that race. Eric Jones there as well was close on that final restart. Could not get it done. Uh, it was Kyle Busch's race at the end of that race. I, he admitted in victory lane he had the second or third fastest race car. No doubt the fastest race car was Kevin Harvick. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it was Kyle Busch standing in victory lane at Pocono Raceway. Your thoughts on the Gander Outdoors 400 at Pocono Raceway. I think a lot of the uh, problems started Saturday with the way they did qualifying and inspection. And we'll talk more about that, of what the cluster that's going to come up this weekend. But, I mean, 13 cars failed inspection. And one of the things with Pocono, it is a fast racetrack. There's a lot of bumps on it. These cars are put at the edge of the limit to qualify on. And if you hit a bump wrong, you go over a curb wrong, it's going to skew the car. It's going to make it go goofy. And 13 cars failed post-qualifying inspection. Here's the deal. Inspect them before they qualify. If they pass inspection, congratulations. You've made it through the weekend. I'm tired of all we do is talk about the qualifying problems. So it puts Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick, who qualified 1-2 back in 28th and 29th, to start the race. So you knew it was going to be fun. You're going to see some really good cars. I mean, Johnson back there, Logano back there, a ton of really good cars in the back of the pack. And Harvick was, what, top five within the first 50 laps before the end of the first stage. And actually, he was battling uh, Chase Elliott for the win at the end of the first stage. Um but Kevin Harvick was a class of field, without a doubt. And then after him and Almirola ran into each other on pit road, Harvick had to come in pit a couple times to get himself together. When he came out of the pits, Clayton, you were there at the race, what, 20th or something? And then he comes back and passes the whole field and makes it back up to fourth, just ran out of laps. That car was, a, that car was on a rail. Now, granted, they lost 10 points and all that stuff. But, I mean, it was a great race for Harvick. But Kyle Busch shows again over time. Great restart. Nobody's better at that stuff than Kyle Busch. And pulls out his 49th win to tie Tony Stewart. And we were talking right before the show. I think 
Kyle Busch is in the conversation right now of the best driver in the history of NASCAR, and he's still got a long way to go. He really does. He did it 49 wins, and Tony Stewart is uh, a great, great race car driver, but Kyle Busch did it less years, 49 wins, uh, that's for sure. He didn't have as many championships, obviously, as Tony had when he reached 49 wins, but still, uh, Kyle is unbelievable. 917-889-8280 here talking circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow with you. Yeah, listen, I, I agree. I think Harvick was fast. You know, right, right after he got involved in that wreck with Amarola, it seemed like for three or four laps, Harvick seemed to stall a little bit. You were sitting there going, uh-oh, is this going to be a bigger issue than you think? Because it really didn't look like he had that much damage on his car, but it was almost like he was feeling out making sure Everything felt right on that mobile one four before he wanted to, to move up forward because he said, I don't want to wreck and really take us out of, of a good run today. Uh, and it was almost like he was feeling out his race car, and then he said, okay, everything's good, go time. And he just shot through the field. Like you said, I think he started 14th there, shot through the field. Um, and it was definitely tough to pass. Everybody just seemed to have having issues except for Kevin Harvick. He was, he was great all day long. But, you know, second and third – Give them credit. Daniel Suarez, the guy who sat on the on the provisional pole because Harvick and, and Bush failed – or Harvick and, and yeah, Kyle Bush uh, failed post-qualifying inspection. So Suarez was awarded the pole. And I said right before the race to somebody I went to the race with, hey, this is going to be sort of a, a interesting race for Daniel Suarez to say, hey, you know what? You got a really fast race car. He was fast in all the practices. He qualified really good. To see how he does. You know, if he fades early in this race and fades bad, you know, and finishes 15, you sit there and go, well, he's really not learning that much. But if he stays up in the top five, top ten, it'll be a nice day for Daniel Suarez. And he did that. He fell about to about sixth or seventh, but really that was the farthest he fell all day. Ran in the top five for most of the day. Ended up second job by Daniel Suarez in the Stanley Tools Toyota. And Alex Bowman as well, who, you know, we saw Chevrolet really, uh, Hendrick Motorsports for the first time in a long time at least, from Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman running the top ten consistently all day long. Chase Elliott had a, a bad restart at that final on that final restart, but he was up in the top five all day as well. So Alex Bowman finishing third, his best career run, and Chase Elliott in seventh. It was an interesting race from that standpoint that you saw guys up front who aren't normally there. Yeah, we did. I mean, part of it's because you saw a lot of people start from the back. But it was a good day for Hendrick. Um, Jimmy Johnson was up front a little bit, um, part on a move of Chad to short pit and get him out front whenever uh, everybody went through and cycled through the pits. But, I mean, it was a decent day for Hendrick, one of their better ones so far. Uh, I thought it was a good day for Daniel Suarez. Um, Pocono is one of those tracks that if you get it, you get it quick. Look at Denny Hamlin. First two times he drove the track, he wound up winning. One of them he spun went back and wound up, he spun going through turn four, um, went back to the back, pulled himself through. I mean, Hamlin was great at Pocono before they repaved it. Um, Suarez, it looked like he caught on pretty quick, and it was a good run. I mean, Pocono's one of those one of those tracks where the horsepower will help you, but you have to be able to get through three distinctive turns, and that's a lot of crew chief and a lot of driver. So Daniel Suarez didn't hurt himself this weekend. Same with Alex Bowman. Alex Bowman had a nice run in the 88 car, probably. I mean, it was their best finish of the season. But Bowman's been con- the most consistent of the Hendrick cars, and he just they turned it up a notch this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I think Hendrick Motorsports, you saw some signs of, of turning it around. You didn't really see it from Jimmy Johnson, which is surprising. You know, you would expect Jimmy Johnson to go out 
run in the top 10. He really didn't do that. Um, let's be honest here. You know, he was a top 15 car, ended up finishing 17th. Michael McDowell from Front Row Motorsports beat him. Uh, that just shows you what Jimmy, how Jimmy was. But, you know, he was a – they had decent speed over there. That nine car was really, really good, though. And uh, Chase Elliott took the lead and passed for the lead at one point in that race. He was really fast. So that was nice to see if you're a Chase Elliott fan. I thought he had a very good day. Um, William Byron ended up sixth. He ran in the top ten all day. You know, these rookies and these young guys who don't really see Pocono a lot, now they see it a little bit more than they used to. You know, they, they're used to never run Pocono. Now a truck race and an Xfinity Series race. So you see it a little bit, but still, it's not a race they go to a lot. It's not a track they've seen a lot. So for Bowman to go out there and finish sixth is a good job by him. I know he won Indianapolis last year, which is a similar racetrack to Pocono in the Xfinity Series, but he had a different package completely uh, than what we had this year at Pocono. He started 38th and finished sixth, so a nice job by Bowman as well there. Um, the top, rest of the top ten, I mentioned Chase Elliott in seventh, and you had Ryan Newman. Back-to-back top tens for that 31 car. They need it. They needed it. They need some momentum here. They got to win to get in this playoffs. Uh, and Newman had some nice back-to-back finishes there. Kurt Busch in ninth. Denny Hamlin in tenth. Um, not a great day for Hamlin. You know, he was up front for most of the day, had some issues there at the end of the race, but he ended up tenth. So uh, a, a decent day from the JGR cars, but uh, Hamlin only led five laps. Wasn't really a contender for a win per se, but he probably put it, should have finished better than 10th. Uh, but Denny Hamlin ended up 10th there, John. Yeah, Denny Hamlin really gets around Pocono pretty well. Um, but just, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. There's just something that isn't there. Him and Mike Wheeler have great communication. Um, they have a good pit crew. If Denny doesn't speed on pit road, which he hasn't done too much lately, it just seems like there's something missing that they just like one adjustment short or they just get caught in the wrong line whenever the, like a lot of times it dep- when on a restart, whatever line in the double file restart you're in is going to be where you go. And he's been caught in the wrong line a couple of times. Um, it just seems like there's, there's a tick. Something's going to happen sooner or later. Hamlin's either going to shoot out and get two, three wins, or he's going to start dropping even further. There's just something that's a tick off and either they're going to find it or they're going to miss it. And it's going to go further backwards. That's what it is nowadays. You know, it's a it's a half a tenth a second. You're fighting for five one hundredths, or even more than that. So any little thing uh, makes a difference here in the Cup Series um, in 2018. Martin Truex Jr. ended up 15th as you go through the rest of the notables in the field. That was a, an interesting day for him. I mean, really didn't see him up front much of the day. You know, he, he kind of faded at the end and just never really found the handling on that 78 car at the end of that race. That's an unfortunate day for him. I mean, this is a guy who, the 78 last year and the year before, wherever they went, uh, they always had a good day. They never had, it seemed like they never had a bad day. Well, this year, and it hasn't happened as recently as it happened early on in the year, they seem to have some bad days here. We sit there and go, they finished 15th today. You know, uh, Pocono is an example of that where they just got a little bit off on the setup at the end of that race and Truex faded and ended up 15th. So something to keep an eye on on that 78 team when you get to these playoffs where you get quick three races, if they have one race where they struggle a little bit and it's some, and it just shows you how great that team is, that when we sit there and say they finished 15th, they're really struggling. But 
a 15th place run for Martin Tricks Jr. I think a lot of people expected more from him on Sunday, that's for sure. I really expected more from him on Sunday, considering everything's been big three all year. It's always been it, – what we've talked about most of this, this season has been Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, and Martin Truex Jr. And when Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick both failed pre-race inspection and you knew they were starting back in the back, in the back half of the field and Truex is starting in the top ten, you figured Truex would move toward the front and he's got a good move – he's got a good distance ahead of the two uh, of Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick. It just never materialized. They were off all day. It's just something that Cole Pern missed it. And usually they were competitive because, I mean, he won at Pocono last year. He was competitive at the first race. And I just, there was just something they missed this week. I don't know if they were experimenting on something, but here was a chance for them to get their fifth win because they started 20 spots ahead of the two of, of uh, Bush and Harvick. It was a chance for them to get, a, get ahead of them, make a move, make a difference in the race, and drive away. But I'll tell you, the, as we talked uh, Sunday after the race, if Kevin Harvick doesn't fail pre-race inspection, do you think he laps the field? I don't think I mean, he doesn't lap the field, but I mean, he's got, there's probably 10 cars on the lead lap at the end of the day because they were green all day almost. And Harvick just was a rocket ship. And you put him out front in clean air, there was nobody going to get near him to touch him. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he was fast as could be. And yeah, it put his race at a, um, you know, he got to the top ten by by the end of stage one, but it certainly started his race off not where you wanted to start it. I mean, he started up front, he was gone, and who knows? You know, he doesn't get into that tiff with Amarola if he's, you know, at that point of of the race, he doesn't get into that little incident where if he's leading, you know, he probably leaves pit road a lot earlier than the way he did. So uh, if he it, doesn't fail in fact, he's got pit stall number one, right? Exactly. There's so nobody to run into. Either. Right, and that's the biggest part now. I mean, you know, I looked at Pitt Road's uh, selection before the race, and I was sitting down, and I remember where, right where I was sitting there looking at Pitt Road's selection and looking at all the big-time teams kind of in a little bit of, a, of an interesting scenario where you sit there and go, Ooh. you know, they're kind of getting get, get blocked here by cars that aren't going to be are going to be on a lead lap, and Pocono especially because there's so many cars on the lead lap because of the fact that you can, uh, with the strategy, you can sort of either split that the stages in half or run them until you're out of fuel and then take the wave around if you're a lap down and run the next stage in half. So it really bodes well for a lot, having a lot of cars on the lead lap, and that really hurt. I, obviously, Harvick, and I think it hurt a lot of guys on pit road all day, So uh, of the big teams who failed inspection. So um, that was definitely something that Pocono to keep an eye on. Whether or not we'll see the Watkins Glen next week, we'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it, it hurt him, no doubt about it. He was he was fast. I mean, he, he was as fast as you needed to go. Um, and, unfortunately for him, you know, he doesn't get the points. He lost 10 points as well. He's chasing Kyle Busch for the regular season championship, and that just got a lot tougher for him as well. So, not only is he going to be behind him in playoff points if things don't pick up here in the next six races, he's also going to be way behind – He's going to be five more points behind uh, due to the regular season. So uh, Harvick needs to get driving. And, and the most important thing for Harvick is not to beat everybody else, but to beat that 18 team right now. That's what he's got to do. He's got to win every stage. If he wants to have a, a nice, easy slide into the, to the uh, to Homestead, to that final race at Homestead, uh, he's got to beat that 18 car to win that regular season championship. 
if he wants to have any shot at it. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to beat that 18 car in the regular season right now, especially Harvick losing the 10 points in pre-race for the failed inspection again. I mean, look at the points that Harvick's given away. He's given away, what, 40 points now plus a win. So, I mean, if Harvick gets the wins that he should have had, I mean, the win that was taken away, I mean, he won, but the points that were taken away in the whatever they're calling encumbered wins now, um, plus they lost 20 points for the win, the back, the rear window the one time. They lost another 10 this time. Mm-hmm. I think they lost 10 somewhere else, plus the five bonus points they would have got for the victory, plus two playoff points. I mean, Harvick's probably 45-plus points that he's given away because of the inspection process. And then he'd be competing with Kyle Busch. But, I mean, I don't see anybody catching the 18 car for the regular season championship. And it'll give Kyle Busch a nice nice little small gap. I mean, there's a few points there right now whenever they come down to playoff time because they all reset and they get their playoff points on top of it. point lead that Kyle Busch has, it'll be down to about eight or nine. But Harvick could be tied with them the way things should be. And I'll tell you something else I saw on Sunday that I want to point out, too. And we talk about teams who improved themselves this weekend. Hendrick Motorsports looked like they had a little bit of speed. And whenever you see a team do that, whenever a team improves themselves, it seems like one team takes a step back. And to me, this weekend at Pocono, on a team I would be a little bit concerned about is Team Penske. They did not run good. You've got to remember, Ryan Blaney a year ago won this race and was very, very fast, outran Kevin Harvick. He was a top 15 car at best all day long. You listen to his radio, he was a very frustrated driver. I uh, just could never seem to find a handling on that car. Logano was a top 15 car before he had his issues. Brad Keselowski was a 15th place car before he crashed. Uh, Paul Menard never really showed up. He ended up 21st, but he really wasn't in the top 20 all day long. So it was a, a, an alarming day for Team Penske. Whatever they brought to Pocono did not work, obviously. And that's something that they've been a little bit behind all year long, especially when you consider, can, uh, compare them to a Stuart Haas car, where Stuart Haas has been really, really good all year. It's not that Penske has been bad. They haven't been bad all year. They've been just a step behind Stuart Haas. While at Pocono, they really struggled. They want to win this championship, and they want to get to a point where Logano and Kozlowski and Blaney, because uh, I don't think Menard's going to make it, but if they want to compete for this championship, they got to run better than what they did on Sunday. I thought that was very alarming if you're a Team Penske fan because they did re- they really, uh, really struggled here at Pocono Raceway, a track where they notoriously run pretty well. Yeah, it was a tough day for uh, Team Penske with Keselowski wrecking, up and, uh, wrecking out and Blaney and Logano both struggling. Um, I don't think Paul Menard's making the show whenever it comes playoff time. The one place where I uh, see Paul Menard having a chance is Indy. For some reason, Paul Menard always runs good at Indy. Indian restrictor plate cars, Paul Menard's usually in the discussion. But I don't see him doing anything at Watkins Glen this week. I don't see him doing anything um, at Bristol. But I, see him, I don't see him doing anything in Darlington. But I see him having a shot at Indy, which is the final chance before the chase. So, but the the... Penske cars have just been a tick off all season. They've all said it a couple weeks ago, whenever Penske had a really good day and Brad Keselowski said, we see the light. I think the light kind of the door shut on them and they missed the light this week at Pocono. 
And it's nothing that I would be like too alarmed about to where, oh, they're never going to rebound. Uh, it could have been just an off week, but that was something to keep an eye on. I thought that Team Penske just as a whole, a track they normally performed pretty well at. And like I said, Melaney got his first win last year. They struggled badly on Sunday. 917-889-8280. Talking Circles. Clayton Cole, John Harlow here with you. Something else, The final thing I want to touch on here at Pocono before we move on to qualifying and, and the debacle that was there uh, was how about that Bubba Wallace wreck? I mean, a guy lo- loses his brakes going into turn one. We felt it in the grandstands when he hit the wall. A hard, hard lick, and it just shows you the safety and how far NASCAR has come with safety. With this new generation of race car, the Gen 6, uh, uh, the safest race car they've ever had, the Hans device, which has been around now since Earnhardt died uh, 18 years ago, full-face helmet, safer walls, whatever you want to call it, that could have been really, really ugly. Uh, and Bubba Wallace walked out of there. He'll race on Sunday, and 10, 15 years – or 20 years ago, he would not have raced on Sunday. That was a hard – Hard, hard lick, and uh, we're fortunate that uh, the safety's come a long, long way here in the last 20 years. I think one of the funniest ones, I mean, it. I had a flashback to Jeff Gordon when he had the same issue happen going into turn one at Pocono. But I think one of the things that was funniest about it is whenever uh, Bubba came out of um, the infield care center and said they did a CAT scan, and he said, I don't have twins. Uh, he was ju- he was joking about it. He said, yeah, that was such a hard hit. He's, and the safety crew was giving him crap because he didn't get the window net down fast, let him know they were he was okay. And he said, for the love of God, guys, I was just trying to catch my breath. I mean, that was a hard lick. One of the last things I was thinking about doing was getting the window net down right away. I was just trying to catch my breath. That was a scary, scary wreck. And you're heading into that turn because – it's a 3,700-foot straightaway, so they're pulling more speed down that straightaway than they do any other place in NASCAR. You have the ability to just haul that thing, and they're shifting in the middle to get even the RPMs up and to get it going even faster. And they're hitting in that corner, what, 210, 212, and they got to bust it down, and their brakes really work hard going into turn one. And when you go to the floor... And Bubba said, I, I felt it about the middle of the front stretch. I tried to pump the brakes early, and it just went to the floor. He said, I should have just went up and hit the wall early and just rode the wall. But he said, I'm a, I'm a NASCAR driver. We turned left, so I tried to turn left, and that didn't work too good. But it's a great credit to the folks at Richard Childers Racing, the folks at Richard Petty Motorsports who built those cars. Uh, it's a great credit to NASCAR and the research that they've done to try to make the cars as safe as they can so we can have our drivers here with us instead of um, us talking about losing Bubba Wallace today. Um, Great work by them. Um, It's a dangerous sport, and the danger is part of what attracts some of us to it. The danger is part of what attracts drivers to it. I mean, you want to be an adrenaline junkie? Drive a NASCAR. And being able to survive something like that and come out and see another day. And I even think the funny one, even funnier on that, Richard Petty Motorsports put on their Twitter page a picture of the chassis in the car whenever they got it back to the shop. And they said, this looks like a candidate for Dale Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s junkyard. That's how bad that car was. Yeah, they actually had to take some of the car off the safer barrier with the jaws of life because of how hard Bubba Wallace hit. So, it was a, a vicious, vicious hit, and like we talked about, it is a great sign that he was okay. But let's talk about the qualifying issue, John, on Saturday night at Pocono Raceway. Uh, a condensed weekend, that's how it starts. You know, 
Um, only two days at Pocono. They had two practices on Saturday. Then they qualified after uh, the truck series race at Pocono Raceway, which was a Kyle Busch show again down there. Um, so it was a condensed weekend. That's how it starts. Usually we see qualifying on Friday. It's the same deal this weekend at Watkins Glen, a condensed weekend as well. And I'm going to have – and that's, to me, part of this issue. Um, I write a newsletter piece for frontstretch.com, and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And this is how I truly feel. I think we all need to work together to make this sport better. You know, everybody talks and gives their opinions on this is what we got to do. We heard Denny Hamlin – he wants condensed weekends. The drivers want condensed weekends. The owners want uh, an up a six week, a six month um, grace period before they can update anything in the package. The owners and the, the owners want more TV money, but the racetracks don't want to give it. The racetracks don't want to give it, but they to a short track because that's their business. Yada yada yada. It goes on and on and on. We all need to work together and say we need to do what's best for the sport right now. I think that's what part of this is, honestly, is the drivers looking at it and saying, we want a two-day weekend, we're going to stay, stay put on that. And NASCAR's trying to figure out a way to make it where it's to, to accommodate them, really, and say, hey, listen, here's, here's your two-day weekend, you can, but we want you to qualify on Saturday night, and we're going to do inspection after that because we really don't have the time between the races and all that kind of stuff going on to do it that way. Um, so I think that's where sort of the part of this issue is. The drivers need to understand it's three days for a, for a reason, and they get paid a lot of money to drive a race car. That's where I look at it. I'm sorry, you know, um, a, a lot of people would give their right arm to drive that, to drive a race car and be in their position. So the way I look at it is that's part of the that's part of the issue. Uh, obviously, these rules are too tight. I think everybody can agree with that. But again, if the rules there, you know, they should enforce it. Uh, and that's what happened, you know. Whether or not these teams, quote unquote, cheated, or what, or these chassis were just a tick off because after a run at Pocono and going through the tunnel turn might be a little bit vicious, they were their geometry settings were a little bit off compared to what they were. Either way, um, it was kind of a, a it was craziness, you know. It was got a lot of buzz on Saturday night that 13 cars failed qualifying inspection. Uh, what were your thoughts there on Saturday night at Pocono Raceway, John, when you woke up Sunday morning and the lineup was completely different than what you saw Saturday night when you went to bed? Uh, what were your thoughts? Well, I was um, checking it out Saturday when everything was going on. And the worst part is I heard Claire B. talking about it Sunday on the pre-race show. Um, she had finished talking to Harvick in the uh, media center about qualifying on the pole. And as he was leaving, he got pulled aside and said, sorry, your car's been disallowed. And Daniel Suarez was in his motorhome getting changed, and he got the text saying, hey, congratulations, you're the pole sitter. And it's like, I can only imagine how freaking stupid this weekend's going to be because they've even condensed it more this weekend. I mean, it's still two days. Which is a, I mean, I don't have a problem with it being a two-day show. But if you're going to qualify and do the inspection process that you're trying to do everywhere else, build it into the weekend. Either start earlier and stay later. Because if you're going to be there in two days, guess what? you got a lot of stuff to accomplish. You may have to do long two days instead of the easy-go three-day easy deal. 
But I think the qualifying, I mean, either way, the you know as well, both of us have said for a while, the tolerances, I mean, the way they have that LIS, it's, it's tough. And you're in the, I mean, I listened to Todd Gordon with Claire B. Lang talking on Sunday morning. They failed by three one-thousandths of an inch. Three one-thousandths of an inch. And that sent them to the back. How detailed is it? I mean, you're measuring stuff out. It's not like, I, I know I can't even tell three one-thousandths of an inch. How much difference is that going to make in the car? Either do it, I say do it before they qualify or before they have their first practice. Here you go. You, you are in inspection before you, you are allowed on the track. And you have now passed inspection. You know what you can do, what you can't do. You know what you got to finish with. Have at it, boys. And then you have your post-race inspection for your winner and your pull, a couple that you pull back to the garage. Either inspect them all after the race and inspect them all before they go on the track or quit complaining about it. The thing is, oh, you, hear the, you had the COO of NASCAR talking before the race at Pocono saying, we got to stop focusing on all the negative stuff. we got to stop focusing on all the negative stuff. And 13 cars fail inspection. And most of them are really good cars. So you had the best cars playing tail end Charlie. You had the the crap in the middle. And then you had some of the mediocre to, and, and Truex up front. So it had everything of being a cluster written all over it. And this week at Watkins Glen is going to be even worse because they're not going to do post-qualifying inspection until Sunday morning. So you're not, you're going to go to bed Saturday night and say, okay, here's the qualifying, blah, blah, blah. And you wake up Sunday morning, you go to the track, your top 15 cars could be ass in on the field. And we could end up with somebody else up front. It's not smart. Come on, NASCAR, get your head out of your ass and fix this thing. And that's this is where I, I blend the two-day weekend, though, because it's it, how much, you know, they still got the Xfinity Series races going on. They still got Xfinity Series qualifying going on in those two two days. And so you have you can only have so many inspectors. Listen, I'm not saying they need to bring higher 150 inspectors to come to these racetracks. I think that's crazy. So I understand why NASCAR wants to do a inspection after qualifying because – they're, while qualifying is still going on in the Cup Series, they're probably still expecting some of the cars in the Xfinity Series after the race. So you're looking at it going, eh, it's craziness. So I think that's what a two-day weekend is a bad idea. Uh, I don't mind it on a weekend where maybe if the, we don't really have any more Cup standalone weekends anymore like we used to have at Pocono and a few other tracks throughout the schedule. But I don't mind it if, if that's the case. But when it starts to affect the race and starts to affect qualifying, I mind it then. And, I, you know, it, it's just, to me, I just don't think the two-day weekends are going to really help. And, it's, and, again, it's just everybody being a little bit selfish and get, trying to get what they want and not look out for the best interests of the sport. But here's my thing about Sunday at Watkins Glen. This is a sport who refuses to take wins away for a driver failing post-race inspection because they say when the fans leave the racetrack on Sunday – we want them to know that the winner they saw in victory lane is the actual winner. But when you go to but what they're saying to you on Sunday is when you go to the racetrack on Sunday, you might the starting lineup is going to be completely different than what you might be handed. For example, I know my wife does this. 
when she goes to a race, she gets a, a program every time she goes to a race. And in that program is a lineup. Here's your program. Here's your lineup, ma'am. Well, are they going to be <laughs> – is it going to be two different lineups? Because one was, was done on Saturday, and then they inspected the cars on Sunday, and they said, oh, crap, four cars failed. They're going to the rear. You have a completely different lineup. People are looking at it going, what? It's just, to me, it's been the way we've had it in a three-day weekend. It's been that way for, for a long time, and it's that way for a reason because you just can't cram it all into two days. You just can't. And that's why I have an issue with this is these drivers need to understand that. And I get that they want to spend more time home with their wives and, the schedule, and kids, and the schedule is grueling. But at the end of the day, they get paid a lot of money to drive a race car. So that, that's, that's the way it goes. I mean – um, as Bill France Jr. Bill France Jr. used to say, why don't you go find somewhere else to have a race car then, if you're not happy about it? And to me, that's this whole thing is this two day condensed weekend is the whole route to this whole issue. And I do think we're going to have a it's going to be a cluster on on Sunday at Watkins Glen, and that's unfortunate. One of the things that really bothers me about it, as you keep as we keep going on about this thing, you go to your local dirt track. I mean, I know NASCAR is a lot different than your local dirt track, but they get five laps to get their, get heat in their engines. They get they figure out what the track's got, and especially on a dirt track, conditions change every lap they go. So, but you get five laps to get heat in your engine, and then you go, you do your heat race, and you qualify, do your last chance qualifier stuff like that. But they're not putting in two hours of practice for a two hour race. I mean, Watkins Glen that race will run in two and a half hours max. And they're going to have two hours of practice on Saturday and then qualify. And then, so there's two and a half hours on the track that they're going to spend more time in practice or about as much time in practice as they will run in the race on Sunday. Let's cut some of the damn practice time. Come with what you got. Do your work in the shop. Build in your adjustments. Don't spend two hours in practice. Then you could condense your weekend down. I don't think they need an two hours of practice each week to run a three-hour race. I don't know. I think two hours is pretty good. I think that's as close as you can get it. I mean, I I, I think that's cutting practice down significantly from what what we've seen. And, you know, I always said one hour before qualifying and one after – uh, after qualifying, I think that's plenty, and that's what they did on Sunday, uh, Saturday at Pocono, and they still have an issue. So, um, they, getting this all in. So again, I just think these condensed two-day weekends are crazy. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, and NASCAR's in. You don't, you know, what you don't want is somebody who uh, drives an illegal race car because they they made an oversight. So they got to go through these cars with a fine-tooth comb. I understand that, and um, again, I just think. I sound like a dead horse, beating a dead horse here, but these two-day weekends need to go. Something else this week from this weekend, John, I want to touch on. Iowa. Uh, it was a race at NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Christopher Bell went to victory lane. He beat Justin Allgaier. But some controversy at the end of that race with the contact between Allgaier and Bell. Uh, Allgaier was not happy, said that, you know, he thought he was kind of ran over by Christopher Bell. Um, Bell led 94 laps. Allgaier led six, ended up second. But you could argue without the contact, Bell doesn't win that race. So um, it's a short track. It's only 
It's only uh, 0.875 miles long, so it is a short track in Newton, Iowa, but aerodynamics play an important role at that racetrack. Um, what were your thoughts on that finish between Bell and Allgaier, and do you think Allgaier had a right to gripe? Um, I'm to the point now where you see everything go, everybody's griping one way or another. We looked at Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson in Chicago, and that was the greatest finish ever. Everybody's like, oh, that was a great race, blah, blah, blah. And Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson shook hands, were happy about it after the race, saying that was great racing. Last week, or at New Hampshire, Kevin Harvick gave a, gave a nudge to Kyle Busch, got him out of the way, passed him. Kyle Busch is claiming dirty pool. Then you have Allgaier getting pushed out of the way by Bell, and he's claiming dirty pool. Allgaier didn't wreck. Allgaier still had a chance to come back and get him. He didn't. I mean, that's short track racing. That is final laps, doing everything you can to get to the checkered flag. I mean, you want your driver to say, I don't have any teammates. I'm out for my car, myself, my team. I want that checkered flag. And if you're Christopher Bell... That's more points to get you ahead in the playoffs going for the Xfinity Championship. It's less points for Allgaier. You want to do everything you can to make it as you're, you're trying to win a championship for your team, your driver, your owner. Everybody else be damned. Now, if he punted him into the wall, and pull, like whenever Kansas would take off at Logano and put him into the wall like he did at Martinsville, then he has something to bitch about. But what mm-hmm. he did last this week, I think that's just good short track racing. It happens. And you know what? There's Bristol's coming up. If you're pissed off like that, get even with them at Bristol. Quit whining about it. Say, boy, it was good to finish second. It was a good points day for our team. We tried. Yeah, he gave me a shot, but I'll find out. I remember things. Remember like Jimmy Spencer did. Jimmy Spencer never forgets. Be like that's that. Right. <laughs> I agree with you. No, I, it was, it wasn't a, a, I didn't think it was dirty at all. I mean, it's so hard to pass in these cars. And if you're not allowed to touch somebody at a short track, to me, that's wrong. Um, so I understand all guy being frustrated. No doubt about it. He, he probably had that race one if that what didn't happen. But at the end of the day, uh, like you said, you know, if you felt like you were wrong, take it out on the racetrack. Uh, 917-889-8280. Something else I want to talk about in the Xfinity Series race. Ross Schuster, one. Uh, J.D. Motorsports giving that team one of their best finishes ever at a short track, at a non-restricted play track, with fourth for Ross Chastain, who uh, continues to distance himself from Michael Annette for that final playoff spot in the Xfinity Series, so a nice run for him. John Hunter-Nemechek was fifth. Then it was Elliot Sadler, Ryan Reed, Ryan Truex, Cole Custer, and Chase Briscoe, the winner from Eldora, uh, finishing in the 10th position at Iowa Speedway on Saturday. Uh, what were your final, do you have any final thoughts there? on the Xfinity Series race at Iowa, John. I really think it'd be really nice for somebody with some sort of pockets to give Ross Chastain a ride. He's done everything he can in a J.D. Motorsports car, and J.D. Johnny Davis does the best he can with the resources he has. Ross Chastain's a good little driver, and he's showing it in the J.D. Motorsports cars. He's been respectable driving premium motorsports at the cup level. You haven't heard anybody griping that he's in their way. He's making the best he can with the equipment he has. I'd like to see somebody give Ross Chastain a shot at a decent ride. 
Yeah, I hope so. That'd be awesome to see. He's a great driver. There's no doubt about that. He really performs well in that car uh, and just does everything he needs to do. I mean, I just think he really, really, um, you know, even at premium this year, I think he gets the most out of that 15 car where he's run most of the year. I think he missed a couple of races there. But even for him to go out and come fly back to, to Pocono after a long day at Iowa, uh, this is how much he, how determined he is to make the best of it. Uh, NASCAR Truck Series event, they're going to be called the Gander Outdoor Truck Series next year, actually. Uh, but the Camping World Truck Series here in 2018, uh, Kyle Busch led, took the pole and led uh, 43 of the races, 60 laps. Eric Jones finished second, which is an interesting story in itself. Noah Gregson, who uh, normally drives that 18 truck for Kyle Busch Motorsports, had an illness, passed down on pit road, um, could not race. Eric Jones hopped in without really running any laps in that car, that truck, finished second to Kyle Busch, uh, lost by just over under a second and a half there. Then it was Dalton Sargent, Stuart Friesian in fourth, Justin Haley, Grant Enfinger, Todd Gilland, Johnny Sauter, Matt Crafton, and a veteran Joe Nemechek in tenth. Um, what were your thoughts? Did you catch any of that truck race there on Saturday? Uh, and what were your thoughts there on that race? I got a couple laps of Kyle Busch blowing everybody away, so it's like, okay, here's your typical Kyle Busch race. So I went to something else. A couple of things that surprised me about it was I think Johnny Sauter might be hitting a slump. I mean, we sort of wrote off Eldora because he hates Eldora, but they come out of it, he run at Pocono, and he's usually pretty good whenever there's power involved. Finished eighth. Same with Crafton finishing ninth. Um, the amount of horsepower that they have in those engines coming out of uh, Roush Yates for the Fords and that big front straightaway, you would have thought that Matt Crafton would have more than a ninth place truck. Um, a great, it was a great, great day for Eric Jones filling in at the last second for uh, Noah Gregson, who uh, got an illness. And like you said, he passed out on pit road. NASCAR gave him the waiver. So he's still eligible for the uh, playoffs in the truck series. But to start dead last without having a lap in the truck and making it up to about just over a second behind Kyle Busch to have a shot at winning, that was a great day on Eric Jones' part. Um, some great, great um, stories in there. I mean, Dylan Sargent finishing third. I mean, I barely remember that Dylan Sargent's running the truck race half the time, and he fin- he finishes third. Um Stuart Friesen, who makes his prowess. I mean, we always worry about him, how good he's going to be at Del Dora, but he's putting together a decent little season this year. Um, and it's nice to see those two guys up toward the front. I like the fact that the truck series, you have your veterans in Sauter and Crafton, but you have a lot of up-and-comers, and you see new ones each week. It's not all Kyle Busch Motorsports all the time or GMS Racing all the time or Thor Sport all the time. You're seeing some of these other guys finishing top fives and stuff. And to get a win, you got to be in the top five. And I think it's a win for those small teams, and they keep growing and keep trying and keep working to get better and better. And sooner or later, one of those guys is going to knock on the door and get a win. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you there. Uh, sort of a somber note here, and I want to mention it because I know this is more your era, John, than mine. I knew who Tom Higgins was, obviously, but I never really – saw him uh, in his day, 97, I was eight years old when he retired uh, as a full-time columnist in the Charlotte Observer, but uh, he passed away 81 years, 80 years old, excuse me, um, on Tuesday morning, early Tuesday morning, 
Uh, he's been struggling for a while, had, had a stroke and had some some issues there. Um, and he, he was struggling for a while. His daughter says he's no longer suffering. But uh, a somber day at one of the guys who, when you look back and, and you hear a lot of the, you know, you look back at all the highlights and, and a lot of the Hall of Fame nominees and a lot of the videos Tom Higgins is either reciting it or telling you what you should know about this person. Uh, what are your thoughts, John, as, an, as a person who, uh, saw him in his prime and read, I'm sure read a lot of his stuff. Uh, what were your thoughts on Tom Higgins real quick? Um, and, and just give us a word or two. Well, whenever you look at the, basically the writers of NASCAR, you have, I mean, you look at your broadcaster stuff, you have your Eli Gold, your Ken Squires, your Mike Joyce and Dick Bergens. But when you look at the writers of NASCAR, David Poole, who we've lost, Steve Wade and Tom Higgins, those were probably the big three when it came to, writing about the sport, explaining the sport, making it so somebody in the Northeast who doesn't understand this Southern sport back in the day, so they can understand what it's about and why it's something that's exciting to watch. Um, Tom Higgins is one of those ones that Earnhardt would have no problem talking to. There's Earnhardt could have been the, he could be the crankiest son of a gun in the world. And Tom Higgins would be the guy he would talk to. And even though he retired as a full-time columnist in 1997, I saw him in the, I've seen him a few times in the garage area, in the media center in the 2000s. Tom Higgins never got too far away from the sport. He always loved it. It was a sport he loved. And he sort of fell into it. It was one of those ones where it's like, we need somebody to do this. Sure, I'll do it. And he fell in love with the sport. And he shared his love of the sport with us so we could end up learning about it and finding a way to love it ourselves. He's one guy who was very special. I mean, Steve Wade basically said whenever he wrote uh, his little column this week that he lost his best friend. And two of the three guys who wrote the best about NASCAR whenever I was growing up and helped me understand it are gone now with David Poole and now Tom Higgins. Yeah, that, it's it's tough. And, you know, we had Steve Wade on the show not too long ago, and, you know, we knew Tom was uh, in 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 a tough spot there for a while and uh, just just real sad. Sad news on Tuesday morning. Uh, unfortunately, we have to move on here. Um, and the silly season is starting to spice up a little bit here. I, I wouldn't say spice up. There's not a lot of movement going on. But there's some rumors out there, and there's been some articles posted. This today, actually, NBC had – funny, they had an article about Joe Gibbs to start the morning – with Joe Gibbs talking about Christopher Bell's future with Toyota and with Joe Gibbs Racing. And then Christopher, they had an article later in the afternoon about Christopher Bell and what he thought about his future. I'll say this. What I took from this, from Joe Gibbs', Joe Gibbs article, was basically Joe Gibbs, and, and I hate to say this, but this is what I took from it. They don't really have a plan for Christopher Bell. They're just kind of sitting there going, well, we want him in Xfinity. It's almost like they agree to Xfinity and they're going to say, well, we'll see what's up there in 2019. You never know what's going to happen. That's not really a plan. You know, to me, you want to get him, especially if you want to get him in a competitive ride. You want to have a ride established with Toyota in a big-time ride where you sit there and go, okay, that's where Christopher Bell, where you see the future. And right now it doesn't seem like Joe Racing has really a big plan. They know they want to keep him. They know he's a great driver but they don't have a plan for him. Christopher Bell comes out and says, oh, I, I don't even think I need another year of Xfinity. I think I'm ready for Cup right now. I, I don't want to race another prime year. 
of my career in the Xfinity Series. I think I'm ready for the Cup Series right now. Um, so it just kind of shows you going. I, I think John, honestly, and a lot of people don't want to admit this, Christopher Bell's days and Joe Gibbs Racing are numbered. I, I have, I'm sorry, it is. There's just not enough room there. Um, Truex isn't going anywhere. Kyle Busch isn't going anywhere. I don't see Hamlet going anywhere. I know a lot of people mentioned that. Suarez, as long as Arnold and, and Carlos Slim are there, he's not going anywhere. And Eric Jones just got to the 20. I don't see the team expanding and going to a second team at front of Trail Racing because they're looking for sponsorship for Truex. And maybe the 95 car comes over, and maybe that's a ride for Christopher Bell, but that's still up in the air right now. A um, lot to discuss there, John. Uh, but I, I just don't see a solution here for Christopher Bell uh, at Joe Gibbs Racing. But it's really interesting. Like you said, Joe Gibbs has said, we've got to keep Christopher Bell. But there's no place to put him. And Christopher Bell, unlike Eric Jones and unlike um, the 24, um, it, brain farting right now, the kid who drove last what? year, it's in the 24. William Byron. William Byron. Um the difference between that, Eric Jones isn't 19. Eric Jones is 23. Uh, like he said, he's not 18, 19, 20 years old. He says everybody's saying they're moving up guys too quick, and the difference is, and this is Eric Jones saying it to the th- – he said, I think the best way for me to get to the cup level is get there, start trying it. I feel like I'm in a different situation than the guys who've been before me. Everybody's saying they moved him up too fast, but the difference is I'm 23, not 18, 19, 20. And he's got a lot of racing experience right now. He feels he's in his prime as a race car driver. And if the opportunity comes to go cup racing this year, next year, I don't want to waste it in the Xfinity series. And I don't blame him. Your racing career is not guaranteed for any length of time. Um, You're only guaranteed the three-year contract that you signed. And in some cases with that, you're not even that. Ask Clint Boyer. Happened to him twice. Um, again, I've been saying this since what Daytona Christopher Bell could drive for Tony Stewart next year. Kurt Busch isn't locked in. Kurt Busch is not signed yet. And Christopher Bell, Tony Stewart's group, Kevin Harvick's in his forties. Clint Boyer's in his forties. Eric Almirola's in his mid thirties. Tony Stewart doesn't have a young guy coming up. I mean, except Cole Custer. And I think Cole Custer is smart to say if he needs to. But I think if there's room at the end, and if I'm Tony Stewart, I'm building for the future because Kurt Busch is in his mid-40s. Harvick's in his 40s. You're looking at growing, not um, milking, the, milking the way it is right now. I think, I think Christopher Bell would be a great, great fit in that 41 car. And there's rumors this week, John, that or last week, Adam Stern of the, of the Sports Business Journal came out and said he keeps hearing rumors that Kurt Busch and is going to Richard Childress Racing. Um, that's the hot rumor right now. So when you look at that, you go, well, why would he be leaving Stuart House Racing and go to Richard Childress Racing? There's a couple possibilities. Um, one is Monster might not be returning, and he can't. They really can't afford to keep Kurt Busch, and maybe they'll bring Custer let him learn up in the cup series, or like you said, Christopher Bell, but you know, that's still up in the air as well. So that's got some legs. I think Christopher, uh, Kurt Busch going to RCR just seems like until it's signed, you have to wonder. Now, Kurt didn't sign until goodness gracious. I think it was December 
to run the 41 car this year. And a lot of people thought, well, Matt Kenseth will be in there. And I think they sort of discussed with Matt Kenseth to get Kurt Busch to buy, get some leverage for Stuart Haas racing. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Again, I just don't see Chris Revelle and Toyota teaming up. Toyota, for whatever reason, feels like six teams getting TRD engines is enough. And um, they keep, you know, developing these drivers and keep throwing money at the development program. We saw Kyle Benjamin uh, in the 20 car in the Xfinity Series this weekend at Iowa. Another good young driver. Ryan Priest, another good young driver we've seen. who's running this weekend uh, at Watkins Glen for the organization. Um, they keep throwing money at the development program. They've lost three big-time drivers, four if you include Joey Logano, uh, with Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace, uh, Joey Logano, and William Byron. They've lost four big-time drivers in a matter of 10 years that they developed and spent money on, and I just think it's going to continue until they expand their their uh, their cup program. Now, that's a good thing to have a lot of drivers, but you have to wonder, maybe they should put some of that money um, from the development program into their engine program and maybe to produce more engines and maybe get more teams running out of the Toyota camp, and then you can build your back into your development program. So uh, it just seems like they're losing these drivers, and I honestly believe Christopher Bell is next. I've said I thought Christopher Bell would be an awesome choice for the one if Jim McMurray's contract's up. Um, I think he would go perfectly with Larson on that team. They're great friends. They both come from a dirt background. They can lean on each other. I think they'd work well together. Um, but it remains to be seen. But, yeah, I, I don't see him coming back to JGR, John. Uh, it's going to take somebody. It's going to take either Denny Hamlin getting moved out, and I think he still has another year on his contract. Um. And Denny's good with FedEx. I mean, FedEx loves Denny Hamlin. They stuck with him from the day he shot to the cup. I mean, he's the second longest running sponsorships at Jimmy Johnson and Lowe's. Um, I don't know where it's going to go, but I, like I said, early whenever they were running sprint cars at Volusia during uh, Speed Week this year, and Tony Stewart couldn't run the car one night, and who ran Tony Stewart's sprint car? Christopher Bell. And I agree with you. He'd be a good fit at uh, Chip Ganassi. Him and Kyle Larson both drove for Keith Coons growing up. Uh, They both drove Toyota midget cars together. I think one of the things Toyota's doing, I mean, you said maybe they should expand their engine program and everything. That's a possibility. I think they could possibly do that. But if you remember when Toyota first came into the series, they had, what, 10 cars? And six of them were missing races. I mean, you had Bill Davis, and that went away. You had Michael Waltrip Racing, and that went away. You had Red Bull, and that went away. The only thing that's been true to Toyota so far is Joe Gibbs Racing. Everything else has either fallen by the wayside or was a cluster to begin with. And Yeah, they tried. You, you can only go four cars, so Joe can only have four. Furniture Row ran the second car last year. And there was a one-year deal for for uh, Christopher. I mean, I'm sorry, Christopher Eric Jones in the '77, and they brought him back to the fold because Joe Gibbs wanted somebody young. And now Joe Gibbs, you look at it, they got two young guys and two two medium guys between Hamlin and Kyle Busch, but they've got two youngsters down there in Eric Jones and Daniel Suarez. And Suarez isn't going anywhere as Carlos as long as Carlos Slim's writing a check. 
And there's no room at the end for Christopher Bell right now. And like you said, Furniture Row needs half a season of sponsorship for Truex. So they're not worried about putting the 77 back in the shop whenever they can't fund the 78 because Barney Visser is not putting Furniture Row on the car any more than he has to. He likes the idea that he's actually keeping his own money and running on somebody else's for once because he spent too many years running on his money instead of somebody else's. And until yeah, Toyota no says, it. until Toyota either says we're going to give a factory car and do this and make it work, it's going to be five deep that are any good, and then it'll go away, and they're going to keep losing drivers like Ford did back in the past. Ford lost Casey Kane. Ford lost Jeff Gordon. They had a hell of a driver development program going on over there and just when they're getting ready to come the cup they think they need a little more seasoning but somebody in another camp says nope we'll take them now they lost them i mean just imagine what jeff gordon would have done in a ford yeah no doubt about it another one another name to keep an eye on here as the silly season rolls along here john it's casey kane um he discussed it with his future with frontstress.com said he'd like to be back with levine family racing in the 95 car this year um but there's rumors that he's moving to Toyota. Is that a place Kane wants to go? Well, I'm sure, you know, Toyota will be a lot more competitive than where they were this year. Uh, but he's something to keep an eye on because he hasn't performed as well as he, early, as he did earlier in his career. Um, what are your thoughts on Casey Kane's future here uh, in the last minute? I think Casey Kane came out today and said he wants to be at uh, Levine Family Racing, partially because he doesn't know if he's going to. If you remember last year at Watkins Glen, that's basically when Rick Hendrick told him, hey, uh, thanks, but no thanks. We're not. We're going to put Byron in the car, and you're going to do – we'll find a place for you, but you're not driving for us next year. And I think about this time, the uncertainties there, Casey Kane either wants to either force the issue and say, hey, I really want to be here and make them say one way or another no or yes, but he's getting to be where it's uncertainty time. And if you're a driver who's accustomed to a million-dollar-a-year paycheck, you want to make sure you get that million dollars locked in as fast as you can. And right now, there's no certainty to where Casey Kane could be next year. Yeah, it's going to be wild to see. Uh, you know, a lot of people expected a mild, mild, silly season here in the Cup Series. Um, it doesn't seem to be that way, to be honest with you. Uh, it just seems like, you know, there's a lot of drivers who – um, could move. There's a few drivers who can move, and it could really shake things up. Christopher Bell is very interesting. He's a great young driver. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, if I read his comments today and I'm a cup guy and I'm thinking about needing a young driver, I go, hey, that's the guy I want. You know what I mean? Um, and I, Joe Gibbs, his comments to me were very – and I know Joe Gibbs is a smart guy, and I'm not saying he's not smart here. But they, if I was Christopher Bell, I would have been alarmed as could be when I read those going, does he really have a ride for me? Is there a plan for me? Because right now when he came out and said to the press, it did not look like they have a, a plan for Christopher Bell in the near future. And to me, that's scary. I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. Uh, you can listen to us every week here. Like us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. And we'll see you next week here on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.